Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. This is Senator James Lankford, and welcome to our conversation called The Breakdown. Uh, Breakdown is we take some uh, complicated issues that everyone seems to talk about in D.C., and uh, back home everyone has conversations about it as well, but sometimes people just nod their head and pretend they understand it and know bits and pieces of it from what they've seen on the news, uh, but really want to go a little bit deeper into that issue. And so we're trying to take a, a complicated issue and go a little bit deeper with it. And today we're talking about budget issues. And if there's anything that's complicated, it's $22 trillion in debt and a very complicated uh, budget issue. I've got sitting with me today our senior policy uh, person for the team, uh, Kevin Kinchlow. Uh, Kevin, welcome to The Breakdown. This is the first time you've been on the podcast with me, isn't it? I think it is. Thank you for having me, sir. Well, glad. You, well, not only glad that you're here on the podcast, glad that you're on the team. Uh, the whole four years that I've uh, been in the Senate, four years before that when I was in the House, uh, you're a franchise player with, uh, with us from the very, very beginning on it, have worked your way through the whole process, and have made yourself an expert uh, on budget policy. I, I would dare say uh, there are five or six people in the entire state of Oklahoma that know the budget process as well as you do, and there's probably only one or two uh, that have delved into the issues in the same way you are. So four million people in the state, uh, you're making Durant proud by being one of the greatest <laughs> professionals that we've got uh, on uh, the budget issues. Thank but you, give sir. us a little bit of your background. You're from Durant originally, mm-hmm. right? From Durant originally. I uh, graduated from uh, Durant High School and then Southeastern Oklahoma State, also in Durant. And then... Uh, uh, right out of college, started working for Dr. Tom Coburn. Right, heard of that guy. Heard yeah. of him before, yeah. and then uh, in t- 2011, I uh, had the honor of joining your team, and so I've been there ever since, actually. Yeah, so. worked on the House side for four years, right. and then uh, came over to the Senate side with us and worked your way all the way to the senior position uh, on our policy staff. And uh, grateful that you're, you handle health care issues, handle budget issues. you got a lot on your plate. Tax on policy. Yeah. So, but here, here's, the, here's the issue that we're dealing with today, though, is really the budget issues and, and the complication of it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know of anyone that says, you know what's really working well in Washington, D.C.? The budget process. Right. Now, that's working really well. No one is saying that. But I, I have this firm belief that we have $22 trillion in debt right now and a rising deficit. And, and as everybody knows, or maybe you don't on it, there's a difference between debt and deficit. Mm-hmm. Deficit is how much you have overspending in one year. Debt is the collection of all of those deficits all stacked up. Right. Uh, so you'll hear people throw around those two terms like they're the same. They're certainly not the same. Deficit, single year, debt, total uh, for the capacity of it st- spread out over time. So $22 trillion in overspending, which is just this astronomical number that no one can process. And everyone asks the same question, how do we get here and how do we get out of it? Right. Uh, well, as funny as it sounds to me, the biggest issue that I think we have is how did we get here is really the bigger issue because if you can't figure that out, then you're never going to get on top of the rest. And so enter the 1974 Budget Act. Right. Uh, so talk us through a little bit of that 1974 Budget Act. So we didn't really have much of a budget process to speak of prior to, to 1974. And so in the 70s, folks got together and thought, you know, we need to bring this bring this all together. Every agency was sort of operating independently of one another. Uh, they would offer their own budget to Congress, independent of the president, um, and it was sort of an ad hoc system that they had. And so in, in 1974, they, like you mentioned, they passed the 74 Act, and that sort of brought everything together and laid the foundation for the system that we have here today. Yeah, and it was it was a lot of it was birthed out of a big fight between Congress and Richard Nixon, That's quite right. frankly, uh, that the uh, White House was doing all the budgeting one way, and Congress wanted to be able to see all the, the actions and wanted to be able to engage more with the agencies. 
And so this fight between the White House and Congress, <laughs> everyone thinks that's new. That's not new. Not quite. Uh, yeah, it's been going on forever, all the way back to George Washington. Uh, but this fight between Richard Nixon and between Congress bursts out this 74 <laughs> Budget Act, and it creates three different processes, basically. You've got a budget where the president has to create a budget, which is never become law. Right. Not one time since 1974, every president's <laughs> put out a budget every year, never has become law. And then you've got a House budget and a Senate budget, but many people don't know the budgets aren't a law. They're really kind of a proposal that's out there. And a lot of people think, well, why don't we follow the budget? One of the big reasons is the budget's not a law. It's just just kind of our idea of what we're going to do. So where does the law come into this? That's right. So you mentioned the budget. It it, it is not a law. It's kind of what's, what's called a concurrent resolution. And I think it's thought of more as sort of a blueprint, a kind of a guiding document right. for Congress to, say, to sort of set priorities and inform decision-making on how they'll look at tax and spending bills for the rest of the year, for the rest of the Congress. Right. So, you, so you create this budget. When is it supposed to be done, but according to the law? So according to the law, uh, well, the Budget Committee needs to report out by the 1st of April, and then that will go to con- the, the full body, uh, and that's supposed to be reported at April 15th. Yeah, that's a kind of a magical date for all Americans, April 15th, everyone's favorite date. So you get the, uh, get the taxes in for normal Americans, everybody, and then you've also got the Budget Committee. They've got to get all their work done by April 15th. Is there a penalty if it's not done by them? There is for Americans filling out their taxes. If they don't do that, it, there is not one in, in for Congress, if uh, you can imagine that. So. Unfortunately, there is not one for Congress. <laughs> so does Congress get it done on that date? Absolutely not. No. Because there's no real deadline. There's a suggestion on it. Mm-hmm. And then after, you've really got three stages in this. You've got a budget process. That's kind of a big picture. Right. Uh, and then you've got what's called authorizing bills. That that puts a little more meat on the process to be able to describe how it's done. But it's a general document. And then the final is appropriation bills. Appropriation bills is actually when it moves from the budget, which is monopoly money, uh, to appropriation bills, which is real money. Right. And then moves through that kind of three-stage process. It seems kind of orderly. But the problem is, how many times has it worked since it was done in 1974? Uh, it has worked four out of 44 years, four times. And four so, times. Not a great uh, winning percentage there. No, I think if you were a baseball player and you only hit four times out of every 44, you got it to bat. I don't think you would be in the major you're leagues. You're going to be sent down. Yeah, you're definitely going to be sent down. Uh, the, the, the challenge that we have is everyone says year after year after year, why didn't the budget work this year? And it's the same reason it didn't work last year. The process is bad. That's right. Uh, the process is always also an issue where you have 12 bills that are set up for appropriations to do spending, but there's never a bill that does savings. Mm-hmm. There is no requirement. So people say, when are you going to vote on a bill that does savings? There's not one required in the entire budget process. So when they set it up in 74, they set it up for spending. Of course, debt and deficit was very different then right. than what it is now. But they set it up for spending, but had no plan for savings, and that's never been built into the system since then. You're exactly right, and there's uh, there's just no requirement for to deal with uh, revenue legislation, really, or to deal with mandatory spending. And those are the two. Uh, mandatory spending is sort of the main driver of our debt. And okay, so there's. So now we got to break that down. So while we're breaking terms down, mandatory spending, discretionary spending. Does discretionary mean we can do it if we want to? Mandatory says we have to. What does that mean? That's right. That's we got a couple of technical terms to break down here. So. Uh, when you think about discretionary spending, you're talking about only a small slice, only 30% of all spending. It's $1.3 trillion out of a $4.1 trillion budget. And that's the stuff we vote on every year. It's discretionary because we have to vote on it every single year. Right. It's at the discretion of Congress. Right. And so when you think about things like defense spending, spending at the Pentagon, NIH, uh, 
um, you know, medical research, those kinds of things. Uh, highways and bridges, you know, all those things. Border security. Yeah, th- those aren't really discretionary. Makes it sound like we can kind of do them or kind of not do them. We're going to do them. Go- that's right. But discretionary means we're going to vote on it each year. Mandatory means we're not actually voting on that. There's a policy that's set up in place, some formula typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, Medicare. Right. Uh, Medicare, you're automatically eligible for when you get to a certain age. It kicks in. There is no vote for each person to be able to join Medicare. Uh, it's an automatic process. That's right. That's a promise that we've made to the American people through the uh, the law that underpins Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Right. These are promises we're going to cover these services. Um, and so that's two-thirds of our budget right there. That's, um, so that's one point. So that would be... Um, Okay. It's around $3 trillion. Yeah, it's around $3 trillion. Yeah. And so that's that's on auto, what we call autopilot spending. Right. So there's there's no Congress doesn't have to take action on that either way. So social service spending, like uh, food assistance, uh, the SNAP program, right. uh, those things are all on autopilot. that They just run based on a formula that's been set up in the past. And so you hear people talk about voting on things or a government shutdown mm-hmm. or something like that. That's really around the discretionary spending, which is the $1 trillion. There's another $3 trillion in spending. It's crazy to think about mm-hmm. how big these numbers are. It's uh, that's on mandatory spending that's automatic. Now, we've also got out of balance. Uh, so we've got all the spending that's happening. We've got about a little over $3 trillion in income coming into the Treasury, but $4 trillion in spending, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got a lot of deficit spending right now that's happening. So where's that deficit coming from? So that deficit is, is coming from our base, essentially our overspending. Uh, I mean, right. w- this year we're going to run a $780 billion deficit. Next year it's going to pop to a trillion. And CBO, the kind of our con- official congressional scorekeeper here, says that that's going to continue above a trillion sort of in perpetuity. And so we are not in a good place. No, we're not in a good place at all. Uh, and and I've had some folks that have caught me. It's It's been interesting. Uh, back in Oklahoma, I, I've had people catch me and say, you know, the reason that we've got deficit spending right now is because of that crazy tax bill that you passed last year. Right. And I typically will smile at them and I'll listen to what they're saying because I want to hear people out and what they're thinking on it. But I usually surprise them when I say, okay, we did the tax cut last year. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we did that is because the economy was running really sluggish, sluggish, and we believed that we had to do something to the economy to help grow jobs. If more people have a job and more people are making more money, they pay more in taxes. And because they have a job now, they maybe didn't have one last year. Now they have a job, they're paying taxes, or they're making more money personally. If right. wages go up, and they're paying more in taxes. So it is a risk when you cut taxes like that. If the strategic way that we did it to be able to lower taxes, it is a risk that the economy is going to grow. The result of it's interesting, though. We did a tax cut last year. This year, our revenue is higher into the Treasury this year than it was last year. So the, the misnomer is I have folks say all the time, this giant deficit is because of the tax cut. Right. Zero of it is because of the tax cut. We actually have more revenue coming in this year than we had last year. Yeah, over uh, that same period that you mentioned from January through October, uh, the Treasury tells us we actually have $14 billion more in revenue this year than we did last year. Right. So though there was a tax cut, more people have a job, more people are making more money, there's more investment in the economy, all those things are actually happening, right. and there's more revenue uh, coming in the Treasury, and this is only the first year of that tax change. So none of the deficit is because of a tax cut, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. We've got a big deficit for something very different on it. Uh, it is some of the mandatory spending programs that are out there that we have more people retiring and so because more people are retiring, obviously there's going to be more Social Security benefits, there's going to be more Medicare. Those are, those are reasonable things and predictable things that need to be able to cover. But one of our biggest issues is interest. When you've got a $22 trillion debt 
you've got to pay interest on that to somebody. That's right. Right now, our interest payments are $400 billion as of next year. $400 billion in one year right. of, of interest payments. This year, it's a little bit over $300 billion just in interest payments. And so that's chopping up and will be around half of our deficit spending just in this giant interest payments. If we didn't have this big debt, we wouldn't have this big interest payment, but it's a snowball effect because the bigger the interest payment becomes, then that means the bigger the deficit becomes and you can't get on top of it because you can't control it and be able to manage it. That's right. And by the end of the decade, um, projections show that we're going to be spending close to a trillion dollars only in interest. And that's a scary thought because what that does is crowd other other spending out, other priorities that we have like defense, like medical research that we mentioned before. We just don't have enough resources to go around for those priorities because we're spending it on our you know our massive our national stuff. debt, right? Yeah. And so it's a it's a crowd out effect. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a, it's a serious issue to say the least. So mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out how to get on top of it. So enter this year the messianic committee, the Joint Select <laughs> Committee on Budget and Appropriations Process. So there, there's been this argument, myself and several others have argued for years, we're never going to get a better budget product until we get a better budget process. That's right. We've got to get the process, because this was not true until 74. The 74 Budget Act laid a process in place that helped us spend more money, and Congress has effectively done that, put in place all these mandatory programs, all the structure and system has not been managed. Really, right. it's been, A lot has been on autopilot during that time period. And there is no incentive or no location to really go and work on deficit reduction. And the one thing I've learned from the short time I've been in Congress is Congress will not do anything until they have to. That's exactly right. And it frustrates the dog out of me. Everybody says, well, just go do it. Well, they will when there's a deadline. (laughs) When is the deadline to solve the debt? There's not one. There's not one built into our structure. There's not one built in. So this committee was formed, eight Democrats, eight Republicans. They formed in April of this year. The whole mission was to do significant budget reform, to actually work on the process. Now, this wasn't a, you know, where are you going to cut, what accounts, what taxes are going to change. It wasn't any of that. It was just the process of how we put the structure together. We have met for months now, multiple meetings, lots of staff work. This has been one that you've been very, very engaged in behind the scenes. I've been very engaged with trying to be able to work through the process. It built up all the way until yesterday. Uh, when we had final votes and conversations, and then today for the final, final vote, and it failed. It failed this morning at 9, unfortunately, uh, after months and months, as you mentioned, of work behind the scenes, um, reaching across the aisle, trying to find some agreement and shared yeah. priorities. Um, so it was a disappointing result, I think, to say the least. And we 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 had some, some good conversation about um, priorities that I think were, would set up sort of a politically neutral platform where we could all get Congress in a rhythm right. of actually addressing our real debt and deficit issues. Uh, and you mentioned before incentives. One of the one of the earliest things that we talked about was actually putting some some carrots and sticks on Congress to incentivize them to actually do a budget every year right. and to actually pass these 12 spending bills that you mentioned on time and in a responsible manner. And so um, Unfortunately, that was voted down as well, among several other things, but that was, we'll start there. Yeah, it was remarkable to be able to go through the final vote process Mm -hmm. and to be able to evaluate this. And it was over a three-day period going through amendments, going through votes, going through test votes, going through conversations, dialogue back and forth after months and months of negotiating. The simple thing that we started with and that I started with at the beginning of this is I want to end government shutdowns. Government shutdowns don't help us. So I want to end the government shutdowns. I want to end what they call these short-term continuing resolutions 
or really the whole government's on autopilot at that point. I want to be able to deal with the debt ceiling issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, No other country in the world has a structure of debt ceiling. And that structure used to be something that Congress used years and years and years and years ago to be able to limit debt and deficit spending. It's not anymore. It's just automatically raised every time. It doesn't have any limiting effect. It just creates chaos and creates a great little countdown clock on all the cable news programs of the countdown to the debt ceiling or countdown to government shutdown. But they really don't accomplish anything. I want to be able to find a way that we can get a bipartisan process. When you work on debt and deficit and budgets, it's going to be a bipartisan process. And I know there are lots of folks that are Republicans or Democrats said, no, we just need to cram our priorities down them and make everybody do this. You really can't do that at the end of the day to really be able to solve debt and deficit. You can do some spending. You can do some tax policy. You can do some of those things to be able to help one way or the other. But the big issues you've got to do, and one of the biggest issues for me personally through this was you're never going to solve a debt and deficit this big with one vote. And there's this belief in Congress that we're going to get together and have some big super committee and they're going to solve the debt crisis and we're going to have some big giant vote that everyone's going to focus in on. It's too big. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to have ways to be able to chip away on it. It, From my perspective, from a biblical perspective, uh, that you're just making bits of progress on this, uh, how you do savings and how you really gather up like people do for retirement. They're just saving a little bit at a time rather than counting on one big giant lottery check to be able to manage Mm -hmm. their uh, process. That's what we're doing in the federal government. We're hoping for one big windfall someday, somehow, uh, some giant lottery that we're going to win as a country and solve our debt and deficit rather than little by little trying to be able to save a little bit. So I, I want to run through quickly some of the things we're trying to do because we've not stopped. I still believe, Kevin, I know you still believe as well, that we've got to be able to solve the process because we. I'm just tired of saying the debt and deficit's getting bigger and just pretending it's going to heal itself. It's not. Right. And even doing a 5% cut across the board or a 10% cut across the board is not going to work. Uh, number one, we don't have the votes for that uh, in the House and the Senate to be able to do a reduction, and ultimately it's not going to work. So we're putting together our own product at the end of this to say the, the committee failed, but we're still going to try to be able to work this out and see if we can solve it. So quickly, some of the things we're working on, ways to be able to end government shutdowns. One of the basic things on that is making sure Congress can't leave until the job is done. Uh, we want to block off and say members of Congress have to stay in Washington, D.C., until the budget is done. So if there's a budget deadline, whether it's April 15th or May 1st, whatever it is, if it's not done by then, you have to stay. The same thing for appropriations. You can't leave and go home. Mm -hmm. The best way to be able to get this done is not to hold the American people hostage with some government shutdown. It's to hold the members of Congress hostage in their office and on the floor debating and to say, stay there until it works out. It's a very straightforward proposal. We brought that up. That failed. Uh, There were people that said, no, I want to be able to go home and be able to work from home as well and things. I'm like, okay, our first responsibility is being with our debt and deficit. Second thing is a big issue from us, not only ending government shutdowns, was this whole issue about getting a savings bill. We have 12 spending bills. We want a savings bill. We created a process of a bill called a reconciliation bill. Mm -hmm. It's super technical. We don't even have to be able to go into that. But it's designed just to be able to reduce deficit spending. That's all it's designed for. Uh, You have to be able to use it to reduce deficits. We want to be able to build that into every session of Congress. They had to do at least one of those. That's now, right. there was conversation about doing one every year. That's fine with me. But to do at least one every single session of Congress. Now, that future session of Congress, I can't compel them of what they want to put in. They want to save $10 or they want to save $10 billion. That's up to them on how they want to do it. But to put something in 
that every single year we're chipping away on debt and deficit, and everyone knows that we're trying to be able to work through that. I want to change the way the budget committee is actually structured. Uh, right now, it's not a strong committee in the sense of it has all the major leaders of Congress at the table. You would think in the budget committee, all the major players are at the table trying to work it out. That's not true. I want to be able to try to create that process where the major players are at the table. In the president's budget, that's never, ever worked since 1974. We spend millions of dollars in taxpayer money compiling it, and it's never, ever used. It just slows us down in the process. So Congress should be able to get to work on it without waiting on some fictional president's budget to be able to come out. Uh, I want to change the way that we do debt limit reform. Uh, debt limit was designed to be able to limit our debt spending. If we're doing a challenge on debt limits, if we're actually reducing deficits and debts, we're fine. But we don't need to create some other object if we're actually reducing debt and deficit. Uh, so for me, one of the big issues is I'm, I'm good to be able to have a debt limit unless we never really honor it. And it's just a debt vote every year. Uh, that doesn't help us. And you're not going to embarrass people into trying to get to a better vote. They're just going to vote it and keep going from there. And to show you how the debt limit does not work functionally, since 1960, we have raised the debt ceiling 78 times. And so it's it's not controlling debt. It's not doing what it says it's supposed to do. Right. And so I think that's the reason you were working on this quote-unquote 13th bill where every year or two we're actually voting on a deficit reduction package, right. which we don't do now. Yeah. So. We want to change the fiscal year. Right now the, the year runs from October the 1st until September the 30th. But every year, just like this year, it's November mm -hmm. right now, and we still don't have all the appropriation bills done. That happens every single year. We want to shift it and say run on the calendar year. Right now, all of our agencies, everybody's running on a continuing resolution, which means they're all on hold. They can't do new contracts. They can't start something new. They can't stop something old. They just have to hold. Well, when that happens, it's just a waste of taxpayer money. So the agencies only have three of the four quarters that can actually work. Right. And that's if you get it done in that, in that first fiscal quarter. If we run on a calendar year, we're more likely to be able to get it done in that calendar year. And uh, that means you could have more productivity in the very first quarter. Uh, we ask a lot of people in government why they're not productive. Part of it is Congress doesn't get their work done, and so they lose a full quarter. You can't imagine in a business every single year losing a full quarter of your business and only having three of the four quarters you'd run. Of course you would be inefficient. Right. So we've got to be able to fix that. We, we brought that up about the calendar year. We described where we are at this point, and people said, no, nah, it's too big of a change. Uh, the challenge that we really have is the status quo is so much easier than trying to be able to step into something new on it. We want to get rid of budget gimmicks. Uh, there's this wonderful thing you and I talk about all the time, <laughs> CHIMPS, Changes in Mandatory Programs, what it stands for. It's, it's, they take money that's set aside for a different purpose, like the Crime Victims Fund. Right. That money that comes in from all over the country, taken from people that have committed crimes, supposed to be dedicated to crime victims. Congress takes that every year and uses it for other things, pretends they spend it, and then uses it for other things. And it's a big budget gimmick, mm -hmm. and it drives me crazy. So there's really one number that's published of what Congress is spending, but it's actually a different number because they're fudging some of these accounts. It's what Enron went out of business for because they were fudging accounts. It's what no business in America that's publicly traded could ever do because it'd be criminal, but C Congress does it every single year. We're trying to shut that down. We had a vote on that and lost that vote mm -hmm. on a straight party line vote. Uh, that was very disappointing to say we've got to start doing real accounting numbers and not try to do fake accounting. And those gimmicks you, you speak of there, those, that's about $17 billion a year right now yeah, that, it's, it's, in overspending. It's real money. Even in Washington, D.C., $17 billion is real money. Mm -hmm. We want to just be able to set some basic parameters, uh, what we call the glide slope. 
uh, to be able to say, let's set a goal of where we're trying to get to and then work the budget process as it's supposed to be to be able to get to that. All these things we're going to work on a piece of legislation and try to be able to gather bipartisan support for and to be able to say to people, these are common sense issues to be able to solve the budget process. We can't keep saying year after year after year, the budget's not working again. We've got to be able to solve it. Our hope is this is going to be a path to being able to solve this issue in the days ahead. And for us, we can't stop on this. I still have lots of people that say to me, what are we doing on the budget? And it's hard to say we're still at ground zero trying to fix a broken foundation. But if we can't get the foundation fixed, we're tweaking around the edges. Cutting something one or two billion dollars may make somebody sound good in a commercial. It doesn't solve a $22 trillion problem. We've got to work on the foundation and the structure, and that's what we're trying to get, and we're going to keep going on. That's right. And it may have failed today, but we're going to take all of these concepts that we just talked about and several more. We're going to put those into a large reform package and get those out there so we can start, we can continue the debate, debate next year. So welcome to Budget 101 uh, in the breakdown, trying to be able to break down the whole federal budget process. It is a complicated process because it's so large um, and has so many variables in it. Uh, but at its essence, it's a bad process that needs to be fixed. And uh, we're trying to lay a set of ideas out that we've worked on for a very long time. We do have bipartisan support on multiple different areas of this. Uh, most of these areas are extremely common sense uh, that we're going to try to work through the process until we get it done. Amazingly enough, in D.C., it takes years to do something that would take days anywhere else because everyone would look at it and go, yep, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. But we'll keep chipping away at this until we can get it done. Kevin, thanks for your uh, leadership on the team and the hard work. It's a disappointing day for us to be able to finish out on the budget the way they finished out today. I was hoping today when we did the breakdown we could talk about some success and working through this. But we didn't come with good news. But we came with news to say we're not going to stop. And we'll keep pounding away until we can get this resolved in the days ahead. So thanks again for all the work. Appreciate you. And uh, thanks again for listening in. Uh, We'll um, introduce you to a new difficult topic and hopefully better (laughs) news in the days ahead on a future breakdown uh, with Senator James Langford.